Hi, I'm Mike Allen, Head of Research at Zoos, and today I'm talking about the key themes with independent US auto researcher Glenn Mercer. I've been following Glenn's work for some time. I always look forward to hearing his industry presentations at the NADA conventions in the US. Glenn's focus in the podcast will be on the US market, but this is a market that's sometimes ahead of the UK and sometimes behind the UK as well, and he'll give us some very useful insight. Glenn, it's a pleasure to have you on and thanks very much for taking the time to speak to me. You have a very interesting background and perhaps would you mind give us a quick summary of your career to date, please? Uh, Sure. And uh, greetings from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, where in centigrade terms, it's minus nine, uh, a little chilly here today. So we've decided to close the windows. I'm just (laughs) back from um, the NADA uh, convention in Dallas, which I think was some 20,000 plus attendees. Wow. Uh, my background pretty much uh, summarizes, uh, sums up the evil empire because I've worked for um, uh, British Petroleum, uh, Big Oil. Uh, yeah. I've worked for the Central Intelligence Agency. We don't need to say more about that. And also for McKinsey and Company, which is where um, the bulk of my prior expertise in automotive uh, is from. And that I started in 1985 there and was there for uh, 21 years, which in McKinsey terms is sort of you know, uh, 1500 years or so, and been independent <laughs> since 2006, um, and uh, um, uh, investor, uh, advisor to venture capitalists and private equity. Actually, believe it or not, until very recently, as we just sold it, I was an investor and board member at uh, Rimstock in sunny West Bromwich, um, the um, oh. uh, high-end forged and cast wheel company, so uh, on yeah. your home. But I do do, as you mentioned, uh, I think at the outset, uh, uh, I'm affiliated or loosely with NADA. I'm not an employee of NADA, so we're going to do the classic disclaimer up front. Everything yeah. you hear from me today will be my own opinions, uh, yeah. but they're often expressed in an NADA convention yeah. setting or one of the dealer associations. Yeah, no, that's great. So you certainly had a very fascinating career, Glenn, but without further ado, let's really get into the what we see as the key themes for the US market. I mean, I guess... Yeah. I, I often say that uh, UK motor dealerships are more resilient than investors often give them credit for. And I noticed from your analysis in the NADA convention that you come to a similar conclusion and you go back further in the 80s in the US where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've looked at the sector in terms of previous recessions, OEM bankruptcies, the SUV boom, tighter regulation, etc. Perhaps give us a kind of perspective on what, what we've seen U.S. Um, dealerships perform during that time frame and the challenges that they faced in the in the past. Sure. Uh, the um, uh, and again, my my comments, as you pointed out, will address will be focused on the United States situation, yeah. which is uh, different. Um, just to set the stage briefly, we've got about 18000 rooftops, about 6500 owners. Um, and uh, the average size of uh, an NADA member dealership is about $70 million in revenue. So uh, they're fairly hefty and quite numerous. Um, uh, yeah, the uh, just like in the UK or anywhere else, these businesses are naturally hedged. I think Wall Street, or in your terms, the city, tends to read over from very cyclical OEM or VM and um, big suppliers over into dealerships which means they say, well, big automotive is cyclical. Dealerships must be cyclical too. 
and we'll reduce their PE multiple accordingly. Uh, but as you well know, and I think a lot of people listening to this podcast will know, and we certainly know in the United States, uh, dealers are at least four or five, and in some cases, six businesses under one roof, which naturally hedge or diversify the risk of a dealership uh, across those uh, those departments. So we have new, used, parts, service, uh, F&I, finance and insurance, and maybe collision repair, just as sort of the, the typical list. Yeah. And as a result, uh, if uh, we're having a, uh, a recession, possibly, uh, new sales would drop. Used sales tend to drop less. Parts and service work stays steady. Uh, and so um, the, uh, the, the, these businesses tend to uh, ride through um, vicissitudes pretty well. Um, the last we've had, we, we, I think I can say this with some certainty, I don't think we've had a bankruptcy in five or six years of any dealer, any new car dealership in the United States. The last time we had a, a reduction in, in headcount, as it were, was from about 20,000 to about 18,000 during the GM and Chrysler bankruptcies, when yeah. the government saying as part of its uh, demands in return for bailing these companies out, uh, said everybody in the ecosystem has to share in the pain. So suppliers will have to take a haircut, labor will take a haircut. The equity owners, of course, took a huge haircut. Uh, but uh, we also think it's necessary to reduce number of dealerships. So we dropped from 20,000 to 18,000, but it's now been 13 years at 18,000. And like I say, I don't think we've had a bankruptcy and um, this sort of natural hedging continues to work. And yes, it's gone through um, uh, some, the data I have, it goes back to about 1985 and uh, it's been um, uh, pretty uh, steady as she goes. Some years are better than others, but um, very, very stable over the long period, over the long run. Yeah, I mean, I think natural hedge is a good way of putting it. And I think, you know, very similar revenue streams in, in, in the UK model as well. Um, in terms of the present day, how do you rate the current performance of US dealers? And what do you think the industry outlook looks like for 2023 for the US dealers? Sure. Uh, just before I go on, uh, obviously, um, the dealer model is dominant globally. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, too, the local regulations vary dramatically. And in the United States, of course, we don't have uh, we are I don't know if we're unique, but we may be close to unique in that we do not have a national set of laws uh, governing yeah. dealerships. <clears throat> it's 50 states. Yeah. Puerto Rico and Washington, the District of Columbia, all with uh, separate rules, which uh, makes things a little a little tricky. But um uh, so there's that distinction before I go on. The other distinction I'd like to make relative to, say, the UK, I think, um, uh, from discussions with uh, people in the UK, uh, is that F&I, finance and insurance, is very, very important to us. I just want to make that, that yeah. distinction. Uh, I, think the, I don't think the rest of the world focuses on F&I as much. It's, uh, it's one third of AutoNation's store level gross margin. Yeah, finance and insurance. Absolutely gigantic. So I want to flag that. Uh, yeah. I think that's another thing that has been uh, a stabilizer for us in um, uh, an income over time. It's not just uh, new used parts and service. Um, uh, so I just want to make that point. Uh, I have a Substack, Glenn Mercer. It's called Car Charts. And uh, one of yeah. my most recent rants is about this topic. Okay, so the, uh, your question was uh, the, the status as we're in right now in early yeah. 2023. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
just back from the NADA convention, so sort of have a sense for that, I guess. I think it would be no surprise to your listeners, everyone's waiting for the shoe to drop. Yeah. Uh, we've had two years of beyond record profits, yeah. uh, as we found out that it turns out if you limit supply to less than demand, <laughs> prices are stable and high and profits uh, flow uh, very well. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of discouraging after 140 years of this industry or so, we're only <laughs> figuring out now how supply and demand work. Um, so we're waiting now uh, for uh, the inevitable regression to the mean. And yeah. the question is, how far do we regress? Uh, the average store is probably, and this is just my own impression, I don't have to hand official NADA data yet, is probably twice as profitable at the bottom line as before it went into the pandemic. And before we went into the pandemic, we were doing fine. Uh, yeah. So the question is, do we fall back to right back where we were or to somewhere in the middle? And, yeah. um, um, and we're already starting to see as the chip shortage, uh, bless its heart, starts to ebb, um, a little bit of discounting here, a little bit of discounting there, more pitching of leases, which allow hidden discounting, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think everyone's looking forward to a 2023 with higher unit volumes. The question is uh, how much will average transaction price fall and therefore profits drop? Um, last year, on average, um, the, the average car rolled out the door at 102% of MSRP, manufacturer suggested yeah. retail price, which has uh, not happened in living memory. So that's what we're all waiting for to see. And as you can imagine, there's views all over the map. Uh, the, the, the glass half empty said, say, we'll be back to rampant discounting, you know, yeah. by the, by the, by Valentine's day and yeah. others saying we think the oems might be able to hold a little bit more discipline than they have in the past yeah i mean just from my own observations looking at the us market seem to have less supply disruption relative to the uk which probably makes sense given we're we're, we're, we're a unique island really that drive on the opposite side of the road etc um <laughs> but i did notice there was particularly the the final quarter final two quarters of last year used car residuals were probably a bit softer in the US, but then the supply had been better relative to the UK. You know, it, it does feel like the the larger groups in the US still appear to be performing quite well. You know, they seem to be balancing oh, yeah. those those factors reasonably well. Yeah. The, if you talk about the large public groups, and I don't follow stocks directly. I yeah. focus on the industry, you follow more the actual um, yeah. Share, share prices and valuations, but um, from talking to people at, you know, Lithia, AutoNation or whatever, uh, yeah, holding up pretty, pretty well, um, uh, generally speaking. And I think um, as their share prices have receded, their amount of M&A activity has definitely dropped off with, yeah. of course, one outstanding exception involving Lithia and yes. uh, your green and pleasant land. Uh, yes. So um, there's that. Um, and I think if I had to estimate where the publics will be going, I think uh, they're all looking at Echo Park and others and Lithia's driveway. And I think um, we'll be seeing more aggressive moves into used car. Um, yeah. one, one thing we found out over time in the United States, which may not apply anywhere else, your mileage may vary, will vary, is uh, local economies of scale trump national economies of scale. 
uh, the public dealerships, which launched in the late 1990s, really have never been able to get uh, to any kind of national level scale economies. And indeed, yeah. indeed, we don't really see in a lot of a lot of large countries. You know, it's it's, it's rare to see a, a national sc uh, scale um, dealership chain. And so, um, but I think they've all started to realize that where those economies may be achievable from looking at the the lesson of CarMax, you know, if, yeah. if something has been around for 20 or 25 years, we finally start to pay attention to it. Um, <laughs> and so I think we'll see the public's really uh, ramping up uh, aggressively as they already have been on the used car side, realizing that there's not much room probably for a national brand of automotive retailer in our yeah. large country. This would may, may be very different, of course, in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I guess as you as you allude to, you know, more focus on the used car market, as we're seeing in the UK as well. It's it's more resilient. It's less cyclical. But do you think the OEMs will pump a similar amount of stock where they've done it in previous peak cycles, or do you think they will hold off where new car supply will come back to to, to mid cycles? So I guess. The UK, for example, last year we had 1.6 million registrations. This year we're expecting 1.8. In previous peaks for us, we've had 2.6 million. We think our natural demand's 2.1, 2.2. Will it, you know, yeah. will we be, you know, 10, 15% off previous peaks? Because I guess some of the OEMs are enjoying slightly better unit economics than what they had prior when they were oversupplying the market. Uh, I think that's probably the understatement of the decade, slightly better. Yeah, they've been uh, raising uh, list prices uh, like uh, bandits. And uh, I think <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, um, the the man or woman in the street in the United States tends to think that rising car prices uh, flow directly to the dealers. But uh, over the last six, nine, ten months, it's been um, less of expansion of dealer margin and more an expansion of OEM margin. But anyway, um, uh, where I think sales will be, uh, uh, in the work I do for NADA, the so-called Dealership of Tomorrow project, which uh, I presented this past Sunday in Dallas, yeah. um, uh, the 83rd revision, uh, the seventh annual update of the thing, I guess tomorrow keeps on coming. Um, uh, I've, I've kept the same uh, underlying SAR, uh, seasonally adjusted annual rate of sales yeah. in the United States that I've had for seven years now running, and that's 17 million. Uh, yeah. unhampered by supply uh, yeah. constraints. Um, and uh, I think most of the, uh, but that's my long-term view. I don't forecast year to year. I would yeah. say looking at the forecasts that came out from Cox Automotive, um, S&P, IHS, whatever they're now called, um, uh, et cetera, probably looking at something in the 15 range yeah. um, okay. for this year with some recovery in fleet, uh, and maybe some erosion in retail. Uh, a fleet's been pretty pretty dead for quite a while, but maybe some bouncing back there. Uh, but an unfettered latent demand of 17 million. I was uh, pleased to see that Toyota's uh, North America's head economist just a couple of weeks ago said the same thing, that if we had uh, unfettered um, chip supply, we'd be at 17, but everybody kind of looking at about 15, uh, yeah. varying, of course, by OEM. Yeah, it's a similar, obviously much bigger scale, but maybe similar trends to what we think in the UK, which is interesting. Um, 
Glenn, I know you've done a lot of work, as, as you've alluded to, to the future of the US dealership. And I don't think we have enough time to talk through all, all the various factors that you've looked at. But right. perhaps, you know, what what do you think are the, the three biggest change factors we might see in your industry over the next three to five years? Yeah. OK, so uh, just to uh, uh, back up a little bit again, I tend to look five to ten. So three to five okay. is a little harder for me, but we'll yeah. take a shot at it. Yeah. Uh, and um, just reminding the listeners of the genesis of this dealership of tomorrow project, it really goes back to the old joke that for a car dealer, the future is the end of the month. You know, it's get <laughs> to the end of the month and then we'll reset and see what happens next. And so yeah. NADA wanted to provide to um, dealers uh, a, a further ahead look that it that they could completely disagree with, but if they yeah. disagree with it, that meant they had rented and come up, read it and come up with their own views. Um, we divide those two the challenges uh, to dealers over the next three, five, seven, ten years into two camps: inside the store and outside the store. Inside the store is ignoring things like all the case stuff, uh, all the autonomy and electric yeah. and stuff like that. Just looking at the store, um, probably there. Uh, the most obvious thing is so obvious that we don't actually address it in the report, which is the ongoing digital conversion of stores. So that, yeah. you know, if you if you go to the NADA convention, the only thing that outnumbers the number of dealers on the floor is the number of CRM vendors, right? So yeah. software galore going crazy. Okay, that's fine. If I had to pick something out for inside the store, it would be managing F&I. We are yeah. at um, galactically high levels, dollars per car of gross profit is probably $2,500 per car gross wow. running probably a gross market. Regulators don't like very high sales of intangible products. And so um, we're now going through uh, uh, a series of uh, regulatory tightenings on the F&I side. So I think that's one thing on the inside the store. The other thing inside the store is if we do see a, a drop eventually in service work due to the EV transition, dealers have to finally uh, get out of their uh, you know chairs and go after uh, a broader mix of cars in the, in the aftermarket. Uh, American dealers had a 45% share of all maintenance and repair back in the 1950s. It's fallen steadily since then to 30%. And um, uh, as dealers have said, well, I don't want to deal with older cars, they're a pain, et cetera, et cetera. But I think they're really going to have to step up there. If we switch over to the outside the store, uh, we don't see uh, either ride, ha ride hail we were panicked about. We're not worried about that so much right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Autonomy, uh, we used to panic about, less worried about that. Uh, EV transition, uh, the good thing is we see it coming and can prepare for it. Some dealers are happy, some dealers aren't with a huge disparity geographically, which you may see in the UK as well. California has sold one out of every two EVs ever sold in the United States. Uh, the first one probably hasn't even appeared in Alabama. Uh, so it's a lot of it's uh, is differentiation um, by yeah. geography. Yeah. Uh, so EV, but we, I think we can manage that one. Uh, connected car, uh, we are scratching our heads when we look at uh, OEMs, uh, VMs uh, predictions for massive amounts of sales revenue through connected car applications. I know we can talk about heated seats all day, but let's skip that for now. Uh, I tend to defer to Sergio Marchioni, who said all that flows through the phone anyway. It's too late for the car to grab it, but um, a lot of OEMs are feeling differently. So we shall see about yeah. that. I'd yeah. say the um, 
the thing where most uh, other than what I just mentioned, which is how far do we regress back to prior behavior, uh, the outside the store big thing is how much of what you guys are doing under the broad heading of agency will come to America. So yeah. um, this is where, as you mentioned at the outset, sometimes the USA is ahead of Great Britain, sometimes behind. We are behind, for better or worse, in this yeah. transformation of the sales channel. We are looking at it uh, very closely. We've talked to dealers in uh, Norway, Sweden, South Africa, Germany, UK, yeah. Australia, New Zealand, et cetera, uh, try, and Canada, uh, trying to see uh, what's going on there. And um, we see it as almost impossible that it could be unilaterally imposed in the United States, but we do see uh, Ford, notably, and others sort of trying to back their way into it, sort of yeah. quasi-agency-like activity without calling it agency uh, yeah. per se. So that's probably the one that has us scratching our heads the most right now. I think yeah. partly because, and you may have the same experience where you are, is I'm not sure OEMs exactly know what they want when they're talking about agency, yeah. uh, nor are they prepared for um, what it might actually really mean. As, a, as one dealer told me uh, who had converted to agency, uh, when I converted from being a dealer to an agent, all I had to do is forget everything I had ever learned, uh, whereas the OEM has to figure it all out. So, but that's a, a editorial point. So those, I think, are the things that are sort of top of mind for us right now in the next few years. I mean, the agency question's really interesting, isn't it? Because some brands yeah. in the UK have outright rejected it. Others have, have started. Mercedes have started in the UK already. They're underway. It appears to have gone smoothly from a system yeah. point of view uh, and others are delaying it and I think I think it, as an analyst it's going to be tough to kind of um, try and model what it is because I think it's going to mean different things to different brands and the model will probably evolve <laughs> so yeah and the EU I know you're not part of the EU anymore but uh, EU and other na nations will be trying to figure out what the, um, the legal framework is yeah. Um, yeah. The, the one that really always catches my eye when I wade through documents from Brussels here is that, quote unquote, the agent should shall take on no commercial risk related to the brand. Mm -hmm. And um, I interpret that in part as meaning uh, the OEM will no longer be able to demand of its dealers that they build uh, lavish branded palaces. Yeah. And um, so we shall see, uh, you yeah. know, I know Australia is embroiled in this one right now, but will will OEMs really back off on that? Uh, mm -hmm. Because uh, that, that's crucial. I know in, in, in America, you know, they've been telling us for years, we don't need to invest in the physical infrastructure so much anymore because so much of the transaction is digital. And then they come out with a new you know, chromium, aluminum, and glass palace description for us to invest in. So, um, uh, you know, like, uh, 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 I will name names here. I hear Audi talking about the online digital customer, and then I see that palatial dealership on the road in from Heathrow to London and wonder yeah. how those two are reconciled. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think OEMs are not, I think they're saying, this is great. I control the customer and the price. Are they aware that all the inventory goes to their books? Really. Yeah. So yeah. we'll find out. That's maybe when we get some involvement of uh, the various models, but let's see. <laughs> that's, a, um, you're, that's a very diplomatic way to put it, evolvement, yes, yeah. as opposed to running, screaming, and panicking, yes. Yes, yes. 
Glad I really like your strap line on your recent presentation where you talked about continued evolution, some revolution, constant adaptation and maybe less fun. And when I thought about that, it probably describes the last three years in the UK automotive retail sector. So I guess you're saying you're expecting more of the same for the next three years. Yeah, the only thing I know for sure I bring to this uh, strange world of automotive retailing is my age and that I've been around for a long time. And so every year at every NADA convention, there's another extinction event to worry about is uh, disintermediation from the Internet. There's um, Carvana, there's AutoNation will wipe us out, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, uh, but yet we remain here uh very adaptable as mentioned very much hedged we see developments emerge we say i like that one i don't like this one this one i'll learn from and do it myself and off we go so you know again after 20 years of carmax we have um echo park and driveway you know coming up with the dealer's own response to carmax finally so um uh, that's why i'm i don't want to come across as complacent as an everything will be fine fine but the track record is everything's been much finer than the predicted, you know, destruction of the system. Yeah. Uh, the less fun point I should I should flag a bit here because this may resonate in the UK as well. The single most common question I'm asked by privately held dealerships is: Is it time to sell? Yeah. Do I do I pass this on to my kids or do I keep it in the family? And yeah. um, that's the less fun point there. And my response has been the same for a decade now, which is. If you want to give your children something that is likely to be lucrative, uh, stable, uh, important to the local community, uh, et cetera, then hand them the store. If you want to give them something where they've got real entrepreneurial degrees of freedom to change things and move things around, I think those days are gone. I think yeah. the, um, uh, the OEMs, uh, bless their hearts, have standardized, digitized. Uh, etc. Uh, enough of the operation and the dealers themselves adopting best practices. It's more like a McDonald's franchise now. Yeah. Is it lucrative? Yeah. Will it be stable? Will it be around? Yes. But, you know, the McDonald's franchise Z does not get to change the Big Mac recipe nor yeah. alter the price. And so yeah. um, I think that's what I mean by less fun, uh, you know, great businesses to own and run. But if it's someplace where you wanted to go out and make your own mark on the world, uh, maybe less likely nowadays. I think that's a great way of putting it and I think it's certainly the the, the same uh, what we're seeing in the UK at the moment as well. Um, Really appreciate your time today and and look forward to catching up with you at the next NADA event next year. This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority for designated investment business and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed.